are listening to Bicycle Retail Radio, brought to you by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. Before we begin, the NBDA would like to offer a sincere note of thanks to associate member Bike Flights for their continued support of the NBDA and retailers at large. Bikeflights.com is a bicycle shipping service and a supplier of bicycle shipping boxes offering low costs, excellent service, and on-time delivery. Since 2009, Bike Flights has made it easy for more than a million people, including individuals, bike shops, events, and cycling industry businesses, to ship bikes, wheels, and gear with confidence. They've been working to get more people on bikes, plus have been advocating for safer roads and more and better trails to ride, race, and explore. Bike Flights is a company that's committed to sustainability. Learn more at bikeflights.com. Welcome to another episode of Bicycle Retail Radio, produced by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. This is MBDA President Heather Mason. Specialty bicycle retailers are the heart of the cycling industry, and since 1946, the NBDA has existed to strengthen these businesses through education, research, communication, and advocacy. We truly believe when we create thriving bicycle retailers, the industry and the cycling community follows. The NBDA is a nonprofit supported by the membership of participating retailers and industry partners. If you're not already a member, you can learn more and join online at nbda.com. I'm really excited about today's guest. I'm a personal fan of the product. So today we welcome Jerry Lawson, Chief Frog at Frog Bikes, the award-winning manufacturer of premium lightweight kids' bikes an ambitious strategic international business director and a retail professional with a proven record of delivering results. Jerry founded Frog Bikes with his wife, Shelly Lawson, after a fruitless bicycle hunt for their own two children inspired them to leave their corporate careers behind and create bikes just for kids. They set about creating quality, lightweight, and affordable kids' bikes, and nine years down the line, Frog's child-centered approach has earned them global accolades and industry awards for innovation and design. Listen as we get to know the brand, vision, and how they continue to excel thriving partnerships and relationships with over 1,800 retailers worldwide. I've seen their bikes in many of your stores. I've heard countless rave reviews from retailers about the working relationship I'm very excited to welcome Jerry to the podcast. Jerry, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. It's very exciting. I always do a little research into the person that's coming on the podcast. And when I was on your websites, on your LinkedIn, I found this stat, 1,800 retailers worldwide. I mean, could you imagine nine years ago you were going to be sitting here? You know, this is huge. This is great work. I have to be careful. It is fantastic. And it's, I'd say it's phenomenal success to our team, our teams in many countries. I'd also say it's a good start because we're still very small globally and in many markets. So in, in every market we're in, we're still quite small. So there's a lot of potential. I am super pleased to share with our listeners that Frog Bikes has been an association member of the MBDA for several years, supporting retailers, working to best educate retailers, making sure that your programs are designed to meet the needs of retailers. 
And what I love about the podcast is it gives us a great opportunity to meet the people within the brand and really develop more of an authentic relationship and feel like we know you. So you are Chief Frog. Like, how did the name Chief Frog come about? I have to confess, it was it was almost a joke right at the beginning that somebody said, oh, well, you're Chief Frog. And it was it sort of stuck. So that was very early on. Our marketing guides had come up with this. And Everywhere I go, people know me as Chief Frog and it works. It does exactly what it says. I run the business. Shelley and I, we came up with the idea and that was what it was all about. It totally works. I love it. I love it. Even your, so our listeners, you can hear Jerry and I, but I can see him in his, even his Zoom title is Chief Frog. So it's, it's feeling good over here. I'm loving it. So a little bit of background, where are you located? Where is home for you? So we live not far from Heathrow Airport in London, and our office is about 15 minutes from our home, which is quite useful. And then we have a factory a long way from the other side of the country, so very west, in Wales. So it's a couple of hours drive between the office and the factory. Wow. Okay. So let's dig into founding frog bikes. So this is a story I found on the website earlier when I was saying that you and your wife were looking for bikes, but is this true? You were searching for bikes for your own children? Yes, it's absolutely true. So I've been cycling all my life. I have too many bikes to count. So we won't, I'm sure we'll end up talking about some bikes of my bikes, but every bike I found for our kids were heavier than my mountain bike. And I've got a hardtail. Okay. It's light. It's seven kilos. But everything was heavier than them. And they were little. Oscar was four at the time. And it was a bit ridiculous that we really couldn't find anything. And I kept on going into independent bike dealers, because those are the people I love and trust, and asked them what they could recommend. And there was nothing they could sell. And there was one brand they were starting to talk about that existed, but it didn't go through bike shops, so they couldn't sell. And at the time... I knew how to look after a bike, but I wasn't a mechanic. I would never have built a bike for my son at that stage. And it just got the thought process kicking off and thinking about it. And it was always niggling, thinking, why can't I find a decent bike for our kids? And the story just grows from there as we bought a bike. He couldn't get on with it. It was heavy. It wasn't designed around him. And he was an average side four-year-old. And everything was wrong. And I'd spent my life racing. I'd had numerous fits on bikes as obviously I grew older and changed a little bit I wanted to check what the fit was right and check out the output and I was thinking there's something missing in kids bikes that nobody's looked at it so it it got to the stage where we thought well we should be able to do something and it just carried on so I was in the middle of a big project for a big organization and it was sort of coming to the end and they were saying well what are you going to do next Shelley would say I was coming to a midlife crisis it was time for a change. And Shelley and I talked about it. I did some drawings and, and it was like December 2011, I decided I was going to leave the business I was working in. And that was sort of, I had a design, hadn't really progressed it into making a bike, but I thought something's possible. This is fabulous. And for our listeners who maybe are just hearing of frog bikes for the first time on this podcast, Definitely go over to frogbikesusa.com and we'll put the link in the show notes. I mean, we are talking about mountain bikes, road bikes, track bikes, recreational bikes. I mean, Jerry, you have built quite an impressive category of lightweight design for kids' kids' bikes. It's awesome. Yes. Well, we thought if we're going to do this, we're going to do this right. 
we launched with one balanced bike, a couple of what we call first pedals, so no gears, very simple, and then some hybrid. And then we thought, well, if you're going to get into racing, you've got to start at an early age. So we started with a three road bikes, one with a 20 inch wheel, thinking, okay, this is a bit different. And the other thing, because we'd done, and we'll get into the research, is we carried out a lot of research of kids on bikes. And we learned a lot more about kids than anybody else knows. So we went and bought one of these Sorota Institute measuring rigs, got it brought over to the UK, took it to pieces because it wouldn't work for kids, the smallest level, recreated it. So we still have it and we use it for research and then put 1500 kids through a study. We funded a PhD student and we studied everything we could possibly do about the kids. We measured about 50 attributes of every kid that went through this testing. And we looked at the output and we were trying to work out what things change, what is different about the geometry, asking them questions about comfort, but also looking at the data. And what we found out was the geometry of kids' bikes was totally wrong for kids. It wasn't taking into consideration about their flexibility, how small some of their attributes are. So, and a good way of looking at it is the head of an adult is 10% of your body, a head of a kid when you're first born is 25%. So you have to think about those changes of going from your head being 25% of your body to becoming 10%. And all the things change over different times. So growth spurts come into it, and sometimes arms grow faster than legs. And you see all these little kids with different attributes, and we had to bring this into it to then go, actually, it's not about age. So we threw age out, and we looked at measuring and talking about the size of the bike, about the size of the kid, the inside leg measurement. Because the traditional way of saying, what bike does a kid need was, well, how old is your kid? Okay, that's the wheel size. And that's not right, because we got a whole load of 12 and 13 year olds in a room, and some were four foot six, and the others were six foot. And you think, okay, they're not all on the same bike. And that's what we wanted to change. So as well as getting the geometry right, we threw out the rule book of, what is the right size for a kid and how do you measure a child? There's so many things you just touched on there that I want to unpack so much. And I, I love the fact that you mentioned Serata and you know using their size cycle and just all the data and research that has gone into this. I'm thinking back when I owned a store, just, yeah, it was, how old is the child? And then there's considerations like how small a child's hand is, but they have the same breaks and it's like very hard for the child to yeah this is fantastic I had no idea about all the data that you did and I'm sure are continuing to do too as you develop new products or refine what you have right yeah so the research we initially launched is out in the public domain and we launched it at cycle fit in London we went to one of their I think they call it a symposium and sort of Tom who's now our head of R&D he was a lecturer at a university. We funded a PhD student working under him and learning from him. And Tom did the launch. And we did talk in detail about the things that are different. And you you hit on the brakes. Brakes are very different. And in the US, the law sits from 1978 that sidewalk bikes need to have a back pedal because at the time, the brake lever, as you rightly said, didn't work for kids. Now, that's all changed. Brake levers now work. We've specially designed some brake levers for smaller hands, very controllable. And we work with well-known branded products. So we work with Tetro to have designed a brake lever specifically for kids. But all these things 
we've had to go through since we launched all the changes as we've learned more. And we learned crank. Crank length is very different for kids. Now, actually, it's the same as adults. Lots of research on adults talked about about 20% of the inside leg measurement is your crank length. Well, we had to go out and make a crank because we needed an 89 centimeter crank. So absolutely tiny. Um, I've got, do I need to talk in inches? That's um, <laughs> but to be on the spot. But it was fundamentally, we had to go out and do something very different because it didn't exist. So we had to make molds and get the aluminium specially designed and molded and to make it lightweight and work for kids because none of these things existed when we started. Such a big undertaking. And then you have to get, you know, the regulations and the safety checks and all that that goes along with it. I mean, what a big project, right? Yes. And you talk about safety standards in the markets, we're in the different standards. So mm-hmm. there is the ISO, which is the international standard that Europe use. Obviously, there's the CPSC in US. And then there's a different standard in Australia. And so our bikes are heavily tested. And one of the positive things, the UK government, and in particular, we're in the Welsh, our factories in Wales, the Welsh government is really supportive of research and development and getting jobs. So we've, we've had our own test lab built that we're now testing our bikes through on a regular basis. So every time we do any development, every bit of the bike, we've got a lab that we tested in that tests to the right standard in all markets. Terry, I'm just thinking, you know, what you're doing, what you have done, what you have managed to accomplish. It's so important. You know, we talk about keeping people engaged in cycling and developing their journey as a cyclist. I mean, you're starting with kids. Like if we put them on the right bike, a bike that feels good, fits good, is easy to ride up the hill because it's not, you know, 50 pounds heavier than moms or dads. We're going to create cyclists for life. I mean, sure you get that, but it's, I'm just like, I'm letting it sit with me for a second. Cause I'm like, this is an opportunity that we, we cannot get this wrong. Like when it comes to getting a kid set up on a bike, we have to ace it. And that's what we've learned. And I have to say, I love all the adult brands, but I don't understand why they haven't understood that their future customer is the kid. And that's why I'm delighted with what we're doing. And we're delighted to work with, we work with some really good brands and some of their stores because they don't do and haven't done the research we've done. So we are 10 years ahead of anybody who might start today. But things like the Q factor or how wide the bottom bracket is, we've had to get bottom brackets specially designed because, and this is the early research we did, because the bottom brackets were wide and cranks were bowing out, the kids were losing about 35% of the energy out the force outwards. So they were not even being efficient up a hill. So Mm. if you think how narrow their hips are, their legs were splaying out. And so when they were just pedaling, ignore the fact that it was a heavy bike, but they were losing force because their feet were pushing outwards. And so as soon as we started to learn these sort of things, change the crank length, get a smaller bottom bracket, the kids can be much more efficient. And you hit the nail on the head is, if the kid enjoys it right early on, then they're cycling for life. And you see, we've got loads of videos of kids who are ambassadors and wear our brand, but also ride our bikes. And all they're doing is smiling and they're having fun. And when we launched in the US at the Vegas show, it was incredible how kids came. And obviously it was a trade show officially, but kids were coming along and they were riding our bikes and all they could do was smile. And then when they lifted them up and found them lightweight, it was a fantastic place to be. So as I said, 
my bike was 15 pounds and everything was heavier than the kids and the kids bikes were heavy we're now at a stage where we've got much lighter bikes our balance bikes are a lot lighter there's still a lot more we can do as i said we're still in our infancy here but the, what we've learned and what we've changed with kids bikes is fantastic there's still a lot more to do i mean i was just reading some of the reviews i mean you've made so many top kids bikes to buy lists like it's you know you talk about when a retailer brings a product into their store or they're curating their inventory you should always have a feature benefit or a sales presentation in mind or an end user in mind i mean it's really easy to talk about the features and benefits when you have a product like this that's been so highly just recognized as being one of the best so congratulations (laughs) awesome to get on those lists right (laughs) thank you (laughs) well and you did talk about award we got a design award at uh, Eurobike, which we were not anticipating. And we got the red dot, which is a big German design award. And we got that early on. And it was like, people just recognized us. And I think we were challenging the status quo in lots of different ways. But our starting point, and you you articulated, it was about being lightweight. But lightweight was our starting point. And what we've learned about improvement in the metal just means we can do a lot more. And we'll talk about it in, in detail over time. But We've taken more weight out of our bikes. So they were great. They're even better. We've reduced the number of spokes in a wheel. We've lowered the bottom bracket and been able to take some weight out of it because we think they were overspecced. And because we've got our own testing lab, we've been able to test and make changes. They don't always make it. So sometimes we test and it breaks. So we go back to the drawing board and make some amendments. And that's the other advantage of having our own factory. I got to tell you another thing, you know, as a mom, I have a 14 and 11 year old, the bikes look cool. Like they have cool colors, lots of colors, lots of options. You know what I mean? You know, for the kid who doesn't like red or only wants purple or you've got it. So that's pretty dialed too. Yeah. So we always talk about being research led. So, and it isn't just about what the bike is made of or how it rides and kids on it. Even when the design, we ask kids. So right from the beginning, and we made a mistake. We asked kids and nobody wanted pink. So we did a spotty bike and we always talk about our spotty bike. And there were some kids who desperate for pink and we hadn't listened. We'd sort of put our fingers in the ears and thought, actually, we don't want pink. We want to be able to hand it down from one kid to the next and things like that. But we had a overwhelming desire from or demand from some of our stores. Some of our better stores said, you need pink. You're missing out a trick. So we went and talked to some customers and some kids and they all said, yeah, you need pink. And sure enough, we listened. It was about research led and we launched a pink bike and it sells fantastically well. And we've got kids, boys, who are now riding our pink bike because they've handed handed me down from their older sister and they don't mind. They just go, it's a frog bike and it's a design they like and things like that. So even when we launched our teenage range, which we've called Push the Limit, we asked the kids, the teenagers, so you've got a 14 year old, whether they still wanted the frog splat on the front. And they said, of course, that's iconic. You can't do without it. So even onto our mountain bike, it was on there. And when we launched our USA Cycling bike with USA Cycling, they said, yes, we wanted to still want the frog splat on the front. So, okay, we'll keep doing it. So we do. The frog splat gets everywhere. And what's good about the splat is if you're a smaller kid, you think it's a frog has left its mark in a puddle and jumped off. If you're on a kid, some of them think it's been run over and it's sort of the dead frog. But if that works for the individuals, that's works for us. 
I love this. And as kids are giving you their feedback, that's it's fitting. So I want to talk about the U.S. distribution. You talked earlier briefly about you know launching at Interbike and having a positive response. What is the distribution in the U.S.? Is there a headquarters or do you warehouse or? So we have a warehouse in North Carolina and Tony, who's been running it, has been based in Arkansas and it's changing because, and not because of anything else, but Tony's taken on a couple of other projects, so he's not got the time. So we have somebody else who's picking it up in the next couple of weeks. But we have a warehouse. We ship to stores all around the country. We've got about 200-ish stores in the U.S., And compared to the UK, much smaller, much smaller market, we've got about 600 stores in the UK. So there is a lot of opportunity for us to find more stores, and we're always looking for more stores. But the deal is the same. We support independent bike dealers everywhere we go. We work with a few small chains. So we're happy to work with chains, but we like to work with independents where they have the great service. They have customers who get loyal to them. They know how to measure a child. They know how to build a bike for the kids. And the kid walks out happy. And we do this in every market we're in. So I noticed that the dealer extends, you said it's like 200, that you have a nice map dealer locator on the website. When did that distribution really ramp up from the initial launch at Interbike? Like has it, I know with COVID this past year, as we've seen some changes in relationships, but how did that ramp up look for you guys? It has been steady. When we first started, we had a manager in the US. We picked up some independent sales guys because they're already on the road. They're in the market. They're the people we work with in every market. They picked up stores. So after Interbike, we had lots of inquiries. And to begin with, we were sending bikes from the UK to the stores. So not very environmentally friendly. It meant speed was good. It meant we only had one warehouse. So if a store wanted it, they were actually looking at what we had in our factory. So it was a really good. Then we went, once we got to a particular stage, it was worth having a warehouse. So that was probably in 2019, 2020, we started to have our own warehouse out there. And that's when Tony could say it really ramped up. And COVID hit, we had a bumper time like the whole industry but then we went from having a bumper time to having a torrid time because there was no stock so we had about three months stock in our warehouse in the UK and similar in the US and that's what we try to have so it means that stores don't have to hold inventory they just order when they need it and we try and get it to them a couple of days later in harder parts of the country it takes five days but then when COVID hit we have obviously we're sending bikes out there and selling them as quickly as possible. And then we didn't have any stock. And so we had ramped up and got a few more stores, but we were then in the difficulty is we couldn't make enough bikes to supply everybody who wanted them. And so Tony was, we could only drip feed them out into the US in the same way we could only drip feed. We couldn't satisfy the demand. So it was suddenly a bit of a tough time. I know. I feel like we're starting to get caught up. Are you feeling like you're starting to get in a better situation with supply now? Or like I, I was on the website, I noticed that you you do list the bikes for sale online, but I know you work through retailers and I want to talk about that a little bit, but I noticed that everything looked like it was out of stock. So is that like you're holding merchandise or? <laughs> so this is the difficulty of having a warehouse in the US and a warehouse in the UK. The warehouse in the US has only a few bikes left but we have lots that are just hitting the water. And we had problems of getting containers. In about November, getting containers into the US was really difficult. And leaving the UK was difficult. There was just, it's sort of 
ramped up and everybody said, oh, yeah, suddenly the supply was good. Actually, there wasn't a good supply of containers. We're now in a much better state, but container and shipping is really, really expensive. So we're trying very hard. Our supply chain team are trying to make sure that we send bikes, but not overload them and get it when we can get the pricing right, because there's a bit of a fight for containers. But we've now got more bikes heading to the US and we'll be back in stock. But even in the UK, so from the main warehouse, if we were shipping direct to a store, we've only got about 70% of our lines in stock. And we're making them. And that is the advantage of having our own factory is we can change production schedule, but it only assumes that we have the components. So we have to wait for someone like Shimano or Tetro to have given us the products that we need before we can start making again. But we are building stock and we'll get some more in the US in the next couple of weeks. Cherry, how are you doing? I mean, I'm listening to you and I'm like, I feel stressed out. Like you're such a great human and you've built a really great business that means so much to you and to everyone. But this is like, there's nothing, like you're doing the best you can do, but there's a lot of constraints right now that are a little bit out of our control, right? So. Yes. So we've had a few sitting in the UK. We've had a few extra ones as well as COVID. We've had this idea of Brexit, which we won't go into detail, but that's sort of nobbled our European sales for a bit. We're finding ways around it. But no, we have a really good team. So Shelley and I, as the business grew, we start to sell more bikes. We managed to invite more sensible people, experts into our business. So I talked about Tom, who runs R&D. He's brilliant. I don't need to think about the R&D. Obviously, I need to challenge him, push him and check we're going in the right direction. But we've written the strategy and he does a brilliant job. And that's the same with our supply chain team and the guy who runs our ops and the the team who run our factory. They're brilliant people. So yes, there's a lot happening and there's a lot going on, but we have a really good team around us. So I sit there, not quite, but chief frog, but I also have a couple of other jobs as well. But it does mean we have a great team around us and I can rely on them. And trust them. Such an important thing to have people on our side that get us and that we can trust and rely on. So you mentioned you have product coming into the US and you have about 200 dealers in the network now. But are you still, even though you might not have product here right now, you're still signing up new partners right now. And anyone who's listening who wants to work with Frog can do that, right? Absolutely. So on our website, it's very simple. They can go across to the right-hand side hover on about and it tells you how to sign up as a new dealer. And we're looking for new dealers because we have only got 200 dealers and the US is a big area and we're still small. If I compare the volume of bikes, the US sells 3 million kids bikes a year. The UK only sells less than a million. So we know there's a lot of opportunity and our US sales are only about 10% of the UK sales. So there's a lot of opportunity that we can go into more parts of the the country and sell more bikes. And we'd like to. And we've worked with USA Cycling. We work with clubs. Obviously, the forefront of everything we do is the independent bike dealers. And we would love more to sign up. Yeah. So do you have a sales manager here in the US or someone whose boots on the ground here who retailers would work with? Yeah. So we have independent sales reps in the areas. So I think we've got eight or 10 And then at the moment, Tony runs the team out in the US, running the warehouse for shipping out and the team of sales. That is changing. So there's a guy called Matt and we'll obviously put that out, but it's all through the same website. So, and Tony has a team of people who manage the website and the warehouse and marketing locally. 
So I noticed that you do list the bikes for sale on the website, but it in several areas very clearly states that visit the local retailer to ensure sizing, to ensure the correct fit. Can you just talk us through how that works and what that setup looks like? So our standard process is to push a consumer into a store because stores know how to measure a child. They know how to set the bike up right. They're generally local to the consumer, so they will sell a helmet and various other accessories that a kid might want. And when the bike needs a service, we're sort of pushing them back into the store to do that. So everything we've always said is about going into the local bike shop. And we know that consumers do more and more research online. So we try and have a website that tells them all about it. You mentioned fitting, so they can know how to measure the child. But the worst thing for a consumer is this massive box turning up and trying to build a bike. So we do say in the event that a consumer does want to buy online, we don't stop our stores doing it. The only rule is to send out the bike fully built. But then that's a big box. It's more expensive from a carrier point of view. And then the consumer has to deal with the box, which is a nightmare. You don't have big trash bins to put these cardboard boxes, whereas stores are used to this every day of the week. They can handle it. So that's why I encourage consumers to go into the store. Now, we've also had a website upgrade. So we're missing some technology, which was click and collect. But we're working with a company called Locally, which will then put the inventory of the store onto our website. It'll give the store the opportunity to opt in for click and collect and the transaction. And if the store does opt in, then the consumer could pay online. The store will get everything they normally do minus the transaction fee. If the store's got the stock, then they take it out of their inventory. And if the store hasn't got the stock, then it comes out of our inventory and it'll be sent to the store. And that will mean that the consumer is still going to the store to pick it up because consumers won't necessarily get it right at the right size. And we've always got this battle. And I love this competing objectives. We as riders know you want the bike to fit you today. But as a parent, you want the bike to last as long as possible. And that's competing because you've got a child who can just touch the ground on a bike That's absolutely fantastic from the parent because you know you've got longevity on it. But for the kid, they don't really want to ride that bike because it's not quite as safe as the one, the previous one they were using. So we've tried to think about how do we encourage this going forward? We want a consumer to go out and we want the kid riding the bike that's right for them there. So we always say that we want to make bikes that kids want to ride, stores want to sell and parents want to buy. And if we think about it, the kid has to be the starting point to getting the kid on the right bike. And that is why the store is so important to us and pushing the customer into the store. And so we've then looked at trade-ins. So people have been used to trade-ins on cars. We've always said, okay, it's time for a new car or your next car doesn't have to be a brand new car. I'm happy to trade in. Likewise, we're used to leasing. And so you think, well, okay, we should do leasing and think about these things differently. And the last one is getting consumers used to not having a brand new bike every time. And so we're trying to encourage stores to do more of these things. That means the consumer is not paying out so much to start with for a brand new bike. They're paying less for a secondhand bike. Then they'll be encouraged that the kid is on the right size bike when they get on the bike, as opposed to a stretch and the kid being put off. 
Your NBDA membership helps support Bicycle Retail Radio. Go to nbda.com to join or renew your membership today. I'm with you on this one. Imagine. I remember someone coming in and like the child's like, I don't know, not very tall, like barely can get on a 20 inch, barely. And the parents like, how about that 24 inch over there? That looks good. And you're like, no, no. And they're like, can you just have my child sit on it for a second? No. And you're a parent. And when you talk to parents, they all go, yeah, I want this bike to last. If you're you're paying a few hundred dollars or more for a bike, you really want it to last. And, And we've got to think differently because as cyclists, None of us would get on a bike that we're stretched, that we can't reach the ground even at the lowest point, or the cranks are too far. And you just think of all the things that are wrong. And this is when you look at, we spend lots of time looking at kids on bikes, is you look at where the cranks are too long. So at the highest point, they're sort of closing their knee completely there and they can't pedal. They can't get the leverage. And you think, okay, that's why you have to do things differently. And that's exactly when the kid gets on the bike to start with. It has to fit them. They can't be stretching too much. What we did understand from the research is kids are really flexible. So we tried some really big, wide handlebars, and the kids go, yeah, that's comfortable. You're thinking, really? And then we tried stretching them and then bringing them really close all through the research. This is the best thing about the Sarota rig is you can move it along while the kid's sitting on it. And we were understanding that. So kids are very, very flexible, And that's why we then had to think about, okay, what does the right thing look like? Where is the most comfortable? What's the output? And that's with all the research we've done, we've turned around and said, yeah, you have to get the kid on the right size bike to start with because they won't ride it. And my son, we tried it before we got into making bikes and we bought him a bike too big. He kept on going back to the smaller bike because he wasn't comfortable. It was too much of a stretch. So we ended up thinking, oh, we bought a bike. He's not using it. At some stage, he'll grow into it. And then suddenly when he grew into it, he really enjoyed cycling. So we've got to go back to say, okay, we've got to get kids on the bike that is right for them there and then. And I'm sorry to parents, but if you try and stretch them onto a bike because it's going to last, they'll be put off riding and you could lose that forever. So many things there. And you spoke about encouraging retailers to look at programs like trade in, trade up, you know, offering used bikes to f- help offset the costs. Are you using this data or are you communicating with your retail partners and offering these tips and advice in a way that keeps them educated on, you know, best tips or best hints to selling kids' bikes? So, yes, and we can keep doing it. So, the thing that we learned very early on from our very good stores, and this is across the globe, we were trying to understand why some of the stores are better at selling our bikes than others. And when we understood them, it was they actually talked to the parents as though they don't understand bikes. They talked to the kid and they actually spent time with the kid, which is why we talk about we want to make bikes that kids want to ride, that stores want to sell and parents want to buy. And that way, we have to think of it is yes, we need to sell to the parent because they're the one who's going to pay the money. But actually, it's the kid who needs to be able to be comfortable riding on the bike. And so, yes, we do. We've even tried, we've been testing a new program where we know people will sell on Facebook and eBay their bike. So if somebody buys a secondhand frog, and we're testing it at the moment, and they want to extend the warranty, even though they bought it secondhand from somewhere else. If they go into a store and pay for a service, which is a 
a small service on a kid's bike, the store will run through a load of checks, equivalent of a PDI check, to check it's okay. And if it passes, we will give the warranty to that store to give to that customer. And this is about encouraging secondhand market. This is part of our environmental and sustainability growth and things we want to do. Because, yes, we want to sell brand new bikes, but we're realistic. There will be time when people don't want to spend the money on a brand new bike. And so give them the opportunity to still have the warranty and have all the benefits. It's a huge opportunity there. I love that way of thinking. From the data, all the data and all the research that you have done around kids' bikes and fit and you know how we can facilitate kids in their journey of cycling, is there anything else that has stood out to you that might be helpful for retailers or the industry listening? So there's lots. I mean, there's no shortage in sort of where do you want to start? So the thing that is that lots of bike shops and are a little bit scary to consumers who are not the experts on cycling. So if you're a cycling guru or an enthusiastic amateur, you're very happy to go into a shop that is just selling high-end bikes or high quality, all the shenanigans. But what we've identified is parents, a lot of parents don't understand that and get put off, which is why they go to buying online. And what we've identified is when stores change to be much more friendly to every single customer and it's a tough one but when they do they find that they do win some loyalty of the customer who is not a bike expert because then they get the kid on the bike and the kid is then interested so uh, we talk about selling to the kids so every time we go to an event our guys are concentrating on the kids yes there's some parents there but actually we're getting the kids on the bike we're getting the kids to feel it and lift it and play with it and ring the bell or play with the brakes and pedal and all those sort of things or because if you get the kid interested and the parent sees the kid smiling and enjoying themselves then it's much easier that way when you try and sell to the parent a good parent will be encouraging their kid in the right way and we think well actually if we encourage the kid and work with the kid parents just delighted sometimes they use us as a crash and we look after the kid but that's fine when we were at sea otter the first year we just had kids coming and just riding our bikes. And we thought, well, if that's what it takes to get them excited, then that was fine. Because the parents were happy. They were doing what they were doing, watching some racing and things. But the kids kept on riding our bikes. And we think, well, then they get interested in cycling. It is the bigger picture stuff that we have to think about. Let's get them hooked, right? Let's get them. It's a good, it's healthy. It's a great sport. And I mean, every single bike I've owned that my parents put me on, you know, that they purchased for me was a big deal for me. I, you know, I recall, I'm, I mean, you've already mentioned your cycling collection. <laughs> so my cycling collection starts very early on. I have pictures of me with stabilizers or training wheels, as you would call them in the US. And I just wouldn't get off the bike. I had, didn't have balance. So I'd say that's the other thing is learning balance. When my father actually put pulled the training wheels off and he just pushed me, Obviously, I wobbled a bit, but I, from very early on, and I'd spend all my time cycling. I cycled to my friends' houses all around the place. I even cycled. We had milkmen who delivered milk in electric milk floats, and I would cycle and meet, meet the milkman at the bottom of the area we were living in, so a housing estate. I'd put my bike on the milk float, and then I'd travel with the milkman around as we went to all my friends' houses, and then he'd drop me off again, and I'd cycle somewhere else. I just I spent all my time cycling whenever I could and even as a kid when I was at school I'd cycle to various different places I was at boarding school for a bit and I'd cycle home 
even though it was 15 miles away, every day or every few days, just because I wanted to be on my bike, use it as an excuse. I love it. I love it. Lots of cycling. So Jerry, you know, I have to ask this because there's been a lot of retailers talking about the soaring price of everything. I mean, everything's going up, particularly though with kids' bikes, I feel like retailers are letting us know that kids' bike sales have been declining, that, you know, that the pricing is more than people want to spend that maybe, you know, asking, have we hit the ceiling? Any thoughts around that? I know, you know, I know everything's gone up in price. So it's like, you have to do what you have to do, but you know, anything there, any thoughts you could pass along to retailers or. Well, the difficulty is that the cost of everything is going up. So as a manufacturer of bikes for kids, we're seeing the pressure on all of our component manufacturers so the well-known ones that we all know, so Shimano and Tetro, Microshift, all struggling with, they, we can't hold it because there was a shortage of components. There was a shortage of the raw materials. Labor in different markets is going up. Oil, obviously, which is going up, which means running the factory, all the costs are there. And we're doing everything we can to pos- to change it. It is difficult. And we've had to have a price increase recently because it is affecting us. Now, we hope that shipping prices will come down, but all the shipping companies are not saying this is happening yet. So we used to pay $2 a container, that's $2,000 a container, and now, well, it got up to about $20,000 a container. And you just think, well, the knock-on effect, and we need a lot of containers and components for to making bikes. At the moment, I can't see this stopping. The inflation is rising everywhere. Costs of food are going up. So we know it does mean the consumer's consumers everywhere are going to struggle, which is why we think, well, the answer is getting into secondhand bikes. And if we do trade-ins, then at least the bike shops get revenue and then they can do servicing and things like that, which is is the best thing to do at the moment. And, and I'd like to say I had a magic bullet that would solve everything. We've got a good team who are negotiating and we're looking at various different things. So if I talk about what we're doing to grow our business the biggest thing we're going to do is about our environmental footprint and to become more sustainable. And what we found is if we move to post-consumer waste aluminium, so this is aluminium that's been used before, whether it's used somewhere else, if we can then manufacture that into bikes, which is really simple, and we can make it in a plant that is powered by hydroelectricity, then a lot of our costs for making aluminium drop, as well as our environmental footprint. So that is our big change that we're working on. We've got a lot happening to do that, much better for the environment and will reduce costs. We hope then we can stop any more increases coming in because if we start to see some decreases of our component costs, we should be able to offset some of the other things that are happening in the price rising. I like the mindset. I mean, instead of focusing, you know, just we have a problem. This is, it's like, okay, how am I going to look long-term to solve it? And at the same time, be better for the environment as well. Congratulations on that. I'm sure that's not an easy task to take on. So this is when I have to sing the praises of my wife. So she was a strategy consultant. We met in a big, ugly retail organization that we both worked in. And when we set up Frog, she went back to being strategy. And so part of our strategy, and what we've always been saying is how do we become more sustainable and more environmentally friendly? So Shelley has spent the last three years looking at what do we need to do to reduce our environmental footprint? 
And she's identified lots of things. And one of the things is obviously changing the aluminium we use, as well as flipping. I mean, we've spent a lot of time getting our landlord in our factory to change to green energy. So our landlord in our office to do the same. It's taken about four years to get there because everybody was concerned it was more expensive. And all these sort of changes have been what Shelley's been doing. And this is what I talk about. We've got a really good team. So we've got an expert who's been managing and coming up with and developing the strategy and our environmental and sustainable plan, and then making sure we all deliver because we've all got to be involved in it. So Shelley is another one of our good members of our team. So are your kids still riding? So this is like nine years like <laughs> from that initial search. Are we still, did we keep them on the bike or where are we? <laughs> so they both ride a lot. Unfortunately, Oscar, who is now 17 and just about six foot one, he's grown out of our bike. So I had to buy him during lockdown. I had to buy him a bike, which wasn't one of ours, which was a slightly disappointing but went and found a really good bike that he's happy and he rides a lot and emily is at the top end of our biggest bike which is a frog we call it a 78 it goes to up to about 84 centimeter inside leg and she's at that point where it's yes it's at its top so she's not going to be on it for long which is a bit disappointing but the best thing about being a family business and we talk about being a family business we have other people in our business who have families and so it's no longer our kids that are the crash test dummies. Tom, who runs our R&D team, his kids are there and new members of our team have joined and they've got younger kids. Our senior buyer has got a two or three year old. One of our R&D guys who's actually done lots of development on the bikes, he's got a two year old and who's just on our balance bike. And so the new generation, new generation, the next crash test dummies are coming along and testing out our bikes and it's no longer our kids. I love that. It's truly a family business. That's awesome. Jerry, you've worked with so many retailers. You know, you've been focused on selling kids' bikes into the marketplace, working with independent bicycle retailers. Is there any, you know, tips that you would get for a retailer who maybe has a kid bike section, but it's it's not really doing well or feels like their kids' bike sales are just stale, if you would? You know, how can we excel? You know, how can we make sure that we're really connecting here? So I'd start off with saying they should get frog bikes because they're exciting colours and they're designed specifically for the kids. And we can support them with merchandise and a load of activity and fun stuff. But I'd be wrong not to talk about frog bikes from that point of view. But on the other side, it is looking at selling to the kid. So spending time thinking about the kid, getting them on the bike, getting them interested. And yes, the parent will come in. And the challenge we have is... Often parents have tried to buy a kid's bike as a surprise for a kid's birthday or Mm -hmm. some other celebration. And what we've got to be realistic is that's great, but you really want the kid to measure, to be measured and get the bike that's right. And then it's also getting them a lightweight bike, because if it's heavy, they won't be able to pedal it and it'll be really hard work. So if you do have a range which isn't selling, come and talk to us because There are things we can do to help you just integrate our bikes into the range and it will get people interested in. Obviously, you don't want to discount the old ones, but encouraging you to having our bikes in there would be really useful because they come in lots of different colors and lots of different sizes. There's lots of things that are just aimed at the kids. And where we are unique is we have our own factory. We're making the bikes ourselves. They're all designed around kids. We only make kids bikes. 
So I would say the thing to do is include us in the range. Yeah. I mean, I've been in a store before and I've picked up a frog bike and then I've picked up other kids bikes and I can notice the weight. Like it's very noticeable right off the bat. So, and the bike I learned on was made of steel as a kid and, and, and ours are obviously lighter because we're using aluminium or aluminum as you thought. I need to just get the pronunciation right. So sorry. And that does mean we've taken a lot of weight out of it and every single thing. I mean, I talked about with making changes, taking the number of spokes out makes a difference to the kit because it is that much lighter. It also makes a difference to the parents. And that's the other thing is the advantage of our bikes when we talk to parents is if they're lifting it up and the kid gets tired, it's much easier if it's a lighter bike. If it's a heavy steel thing that kid gets tired on, well, think about the parent then carrying it. Whereas the advantage is on our lighter bike, the kid rides for longer. And then the parent, if they do have to carry it, it's a lighter bike to carry. All right. I got to ask you a question. E-bikes. E-bikes are a hot topic right now in the U.S. Anything you could give me on just your thought about e-bikes for kids in the future? Maybe not even related to your brand specifically, just in general, or anything that you'd like to share? So we would be wrong not to have looked at it. So we have looked at it. The difficulty, the regulations in some markets means an e-bike cannot be ridden by a child under 14 years or on road. So on private road, it's fine. From our investigation, that sort of ruled out a lot of what we do. And we know there's people that are selling e-bikes. The other challenge is the battery and the motor are heavy. So all the effort we come in to make them lighter gets thrown out the window by one and a half to two kilos. So it's that four or five pounds extra in weight. That then ignores the regulations about the safety. So having a motor that will push you along at 15, 20 miles an hour or something like that when you pedal means well, if you have an accident, the bike needs to be reinforced, which then adds weight. So for us, we end up rejecting it because there's so much more we need to do to the bike. It makes it a lot heavier and it will make it unaffordable. We've even looked at whether we could get a motor there are some bikes that have LE bikes that have a motor and a battery in the hub. And so you do have a swap out wheel. And we thought this would be brilliant for a kid who's doing a long ride with a parent. This will help them. The challenge is that making that change means you do need to reinforce the bike more. So, and there may be people who are doing it, but we just said from our point of view, it's too difficult. It's the too difficult pile to be able to adhere to the regulation and make it safe for a kid. So for the time being, we're not doing any work on it. It would also make it very expensive. But uh, there are people selling them. As a parent, it's pretty cool to see that, you know, if I want my child to have a true mountain bike, you know, we have an option. If I want my bike, my child to have a true road bike, we have an option. Usually, you know, for a road bike, you'd have to find like an extra small adult. Like for a while there, there was no road bikes for kids, you know, so I might be dating myself on that, but there was definitely a point where it was like very hard to find anything of quality. Yeah. So we do proper road bikes. There's still some more work to do. So I'd say our road bike, which is a 20 inch wheel for a, I don't talk about age, but five, six, seven year old is great. And we do a track bike with it. The problem with the road bike is the brakes and the gears, the smallest one we have isn't perfect for kids. So if you think a kid with a small hand using a Shimano or Microshift lever, it's too much of a push 
to change gear and reach the brake. There's some things that are good, but it's not perfect. So there's more work, and that's why I get excited. There's a lot more development, and we're working on it because there isn't anything on the market. And if we can work with somebody and make something, we'll offer it to other people because it's really disappointing that there isn't a solution for kits. And I, as I said right at the beginning, is the future racers, the future stars in the peloton are our kids today. And if there isn't a product for them to learn on now, they're not getting as head start as much as they could do. And that's why we wanted a track bike that would work because the velodrome, it's so good to watch at the Olympics and national races. And you think, well, why don't we get kids learning earlier? So, yeah, the opportunity is to improve the bike. But yes, we do a proper road bike for young kids and on a 20-inch wheel upwards. It does not sound like there is a dull day in the chief frog world over there <laughs> between making time to ride, family work, creating like different time zones. I mean, I know that it's late where you are right now, so I'm super appreciative. Any plans to come to the U.S. soon? Will we see you? What is their, their big year show coming up? Cab to shows? Is, do you have any plans at this point? The team will be there. I'm trying, which uh, from our environmental credentials, to try and avoid planes for this year. And it's it's proving a little bit hard. But yes, and this is why we wanted a team, local teams everywhere. I spent, prior to COVID, I spent a lot of time in different parts of the world. But then we've been doing video conferencing to our teams since we started. So it's been quite good that I haven't had to travel. But if the right event is coming along and I'm, I have to come and visit, then obviously I will. But the whole idea is we try and empower our team in each market. So we've got a team in Australia, we've got a team in New Zealand, and you think, actually, I can't spend my life traveling to all these people. So we need to empower our team in every market. I'm always amazed how quickly the podcast goes. Like it's already been an hour, but I do have, I do have one more question that just came to mind that I wanted to ask you along the lines of retailers having success with kids' bikes. You know, we have retailers who create a section of their store, maybe dedicated to kids' bikes. And I see that you have, you know, the Strider, the Just Getting Started, the Mountain, the Road, the Hybrid, if you would. Have you seen success when a retailer brings in like maybe one of each model or like, do you, do you think there's something to that to set up a true kids area that showcases and highlights the different bikes available to kids instead of saying there's this one style or, you know what I mean? Like, have you seen any success stories play out with that? The answer is yes. The more offering that a store can have, the better the sales are because a consumer comes in and sees choice and it's choice in size. And, and for us, we do lots of different colors of each size. So the complex bit is we have stores we work with who are small and they might not even have enough space for one of each size. They might have enough space for every other one and things like that. And so we have to be conscious about that. So the stores that do well have access to stock quite quickly. So we have a really good store who has a seller and they have every bike already made every color every size in the cellar and they have a couple on display because they don't have a lot of space and if a customer comes in they will then measure the child show them the different colors and then they will go to their cellar call it a warehouse and pick up the bike and it will be already built now that's the extreme example for a small store that's got space but we have other small stores that don't have space and i think about some of the stores in finland they don't have space space is so expensive 
So they have boxes of bikes that they can't even put more than a couple on display. But then what they will do is say, look, if they didn't have the right colour and size in store, they'll get it to them for the next weekend. Mm-hmm. But the really good stores who have a lot more space have a display. And what we encourage is them to have one of every colour across as many sizes as they can carry. So they might have two balance bikes, not all three. Then they'll have two first pedals, not all three. Maybe they'll have four hybrids, one mountain bike. But across the, the whole spectrum of the things they're carrying, they'll show all the different colours. Because then a customer and the kid can really decide. And they might not have exactly the right size, but at least they've measured them and go through that process. And that's why we developed our sizing tool as an app. So stores can measure the child, put it in, and it will ping out and say, this is the ideal bike for them. I saw that there is an app, right? That, that is pretty cool. Yeah, I didn't even, I didn't even get into that yet. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, and this is the thing. Because we only do kids' bikes, we spend a lot of time just thinking about kids and bikes. And so we've created an app to make it easy for both parents and stores. And we think about the stores not always having a lot of space. So we want to make it easy for them to measure the child. And we even do a fitting board that they can put on display and the kid can go along and they can get the parent to put a ruler to understand the inside leg measurements. And you think, well, that's so simple. And that just gives a bit more space in the store to show that we're being serious about kids. The more serious we are to demonstrate to a parent we're serious about kids, the longer they'll stay in the bike shop. Yeah, I'm imagining, you know, a child walking into a bike shop and seeing, I mean, all the colors and stuff. It's pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. I'm imagining, Jerry, that you're going to have some listeners who want to ask you questions or just pick your brain a little more. Might you share some contacts? I don't, I mean, <laughs> forewarned, it might happen. <laughs> I'm delighted. I, as you can tell, it's what time it is. Late in the evening here, I still want to talk about bikes. I do spend a lot of my time talking to people about bikes. So I'm delighted to talk to more people about bikes. So if people want to email me, it's very simple. It's jerry with a J at frogbikes.com. I think chief at frogbikes.com works as well. So (laughs) they can email me or if they go onto the website and just contact the team there, it'll come to me. It's not a problem. We have a very good team in all markets. So if you happen to be listening in the US or somewhere further afield, do contact the local team or contact our standard team and we can put you in touch with the right people. There's so much here. I'm so appreciative of you coming on and sharing, you know, about the company and about what your research and data has shown you for kids bike sales and just a little bit about what you have planned for the future. Sounds like you're going to be busy. (laughs) Yeah. So we haven't really touched on the future. So there's still a lot more. So we've done some development on the bikes and, We like doing development on the bikes and there's more development coming and we'll be announcing it over the next few months. So there will be more development. We've even got a new product. We've not done something like that properly for some time. So there's there's lots more happening and we try and think about where do we need to be in the future? So as well as being more, more environmentally friendly, we've done more research on kids. Our pedal is made out of rice husk, which is the byproduct of the rice industry. It's so it's not plastic. And there's all sorts of things we're trying to do to be more environmentally friendly. I think this is a podcast episode two coming down the line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could just talk about what we're trying to do in the environment. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, for our listeners, Jerry Lawson, Chief Frog, Frog Bikes, there's such a story here, frogbikesusa.com. Please look at the website, look at the opportunity that exists in front of you. This is really where many people's cycling journey starts is their first real bike. And what what Jerry and his team are doing is just making that possible, making this adventure, this journey with a lightweight bike that fits properly for kids and really gives you as the retailer armed with an amazing selling story. So Jerry, thank you for your support of the industry and for continuing to like change the face of kids bike sales in the future. And I can't wait to see what's coming down. Now you got me in <laughs> Thank you for having me. This has been fun. <laughs> So that is it for our listeners. Thank you for listening to Bicycle Retail Radio. If this is your first episode, please go ahead and check out the previous episodes. We've been doing this for several years. There's lots of great episodes. Thank you to our sponsors. And thank you to Rochelle Scout and NBDA Development Director who made the promotional graphics and the editing of today's podcast. We appreciate your support. Thank you for listening. And with this, we go. This has been Bicycle Retail Radio by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. For more information on membership and member benefits, join us at nbda.com.